Good morning. Use the book 638 will be the song of invitation. Great to see you this morning. Let me remind you that next Sunday is the last Sunday of the month, which is a fifth Sunday, so that means friend and family day. So make a friend before next Sunday so you can invite them. And uh, you can invite your family also, and you can invite your enemies and people you don't even know yet, and whatever it might be. And uh, that's one of them times we try to get people here and maybe use that as something that we can build personal evangelism on, as Ben's been covering in the Sunday morning class. If you haven't been able to make that Sunday morning class, I hope that changes quickly because we're missing a great class. And you know, I don't know how you can't be excited about taking the greatest message that was ever given to mankind and sharing it with others, but it seems like a lot of things get in our way, and I guarantee you this, whatever hinders you from personal evangelism is from the devil. You can't come up with a legitimate reason that God will accept of why you wouldn't share the gospel with someone. It doesn't exist. So that's for free. But anyway, over here in Colossians chapter 4, if you remember, we went through last week, slaves, master, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, it switched to the master. So you look at this, and just to talk about it some here, first he says, devote yourselves to prayer. I think it's interesting when he's writing to the church in Colossae, and I know it could be talking to them on individual, all of them individually doing this, but I think it's really pointing to the idea of the church there in Colossae needs to be devoting themselves together to prayer. Prayer needs to be something we do. You know, we have prayers, don't we? We have prayer when we start. We have prayer at Bible class. We have prayers at the end of things. We have prayer before we eat. We have, prayers are good. Prayers are powerful. And, of course, you wouldn't even pray if you didn't believe in God. And too many people are praying and God isn't even hearing them. But you can think about that. Whatever would hinder you from being heard by God in prayer, you better fix it right now. Because you want God to hear you. But I think this is interesting. This isn't about asking. Did you see that? Keep alert in it with the attitude of thanksgiving. Every once in a while I get on this bench, whenever we get to a passage like that, it reminds me, you know, man, it seems like our prayers are, we want this from God, and 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 we want this from God. And I know we can go to him and ask him for that, but it seems like we don't thank him for that. So every once in a while, even publicly, I get to the point, I'm only going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. It's just going to, not asking him for anything. Because you think about how draining that gets. If every time you see someone, no matter how much they say that's positive, every time you see them, they ask you for something. Man, these people wear you out. God must think, you guys don't have a clue. But I, I just think about that. We... Everything we have comes from God. And that reminds me of a song I really like, and we need to practice more, Count Your Many Blessings. Sometimes we get out all the things that are going wrong, and you can get filled up with it. I mean in your own personal life, in the nation's life, in the world around us, and you just think about how that eats up. 
we've got to remember Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived. He died for our sins. He's ascended into heaven, and one day he'll return for those that are faithful and following him. And so we look at this. We've got to devote ourselves to prayer. There's a lot of passages that mention that. In Colossians, excuse me, in Acts 1 and verse 14, those uh, apostles were together there, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were continually, they were sitting there and they were praying about it and praying about it and praying about it. And then you can see that once the church was established in Acts 2, one of the things they continued, Acts 2.42, was to pray. They continually prayed. And so we need to be a prayerful people. When things go good, we need to thank God. When we're in the middle of a struggle, we need to ask for God's help. We just, God needs to be who we think about. You know, and I try to, and I don't always do it, but... I try to a lot when I tell people I'm going to do that. I try to remember to say, if the Lord wills. But you know what? I get just like everybody else and sometimes forget to say that. Is that because we forget God's part of the scenario? I'm afraid maybe we do. If you say it, you obviously thought about God's part of the scenario or you wouldn't have said it. We just live life sometimes like it's all up to us. And that's not the case. So we need to be continually devoted to prayer. And, of course, you can't not mention 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean every minute you say, I don't have time to talk to you, i got to pray. Hi, hey, I'm praying. That's not what that means. It means that in everything you do, you give God the glory. You go to God with what you need. Give it, you turn it to God, and you let him handle it. You pray. And you don't doubt because a prayer offered in doubt is like the surf of the sea. What's that? Well, here one minute, gone the next. There's too many people. Their prayer life's just like that. We can't be that way. Look at, it, look at another one that applies to where we're going to get here in Colossians uh, chapter 4 because he's going to talk about open doors and taking advantage of them. But turn with me back, I think it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. We'll read a couple of verses here. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There's, whoa, that's a mouthful. I could just stop and we could preach out of that for a while. And pray on my behalf, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of God. Paul needs other people praying, so he'll open his mouth and talk. That seems extreme, doesn't it? He seemed like he was always ready. Well, if he needs prayers to open his mouth with boldness and the right utterance, you know, he didn't open it and just say whatever was on his mind. He didn't open it and just say what he wanted, what he wanted to get across. I want the right words to come out of my mouth. Pray that that will happen. For which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in jail again. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly. I think this is so important. As I ought to speak. So I don't think he's saying, as I ought to speak boldly. He already said that I speak boldly. And when I'm speaking boldly, that I speak as I ought to. Can you be bold and speak as you shouldn't? You sure can, can't you? 
So you've got to speak boldly, but as you ought to. I think that's the challenge. I don't have too, it's just my demeanor, I don't have too hard of a problem being bold about anything. Let's get it on. But did I say the utterance that come from God, and did I say what I ought to say when I'm bold in how I speak? Wow. There's a lot there, isn't it? A whole lot of prayer needs to happen, doesn't it? We need to go before God. We need to pray without ceasing. Get on down in Colossians 3, though. Uh, excuse me, Colossians 4, uh, verses 3 and 4. Pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word. So the title I gave my sermon is, Where's the Door? Where's the, Have you ever got through a situation? Let's understand we're not talking about a physical door being open. We could give analogies where physical doors were open. We could go back to Genesis and show you where a door was closed by God when they got on the ark. So God's open. But we're, these open doors really represent opportunities that God gives us, doesn't it? Have you ever got by an opportunity and then you say, man, I should have done this. I should have said this. So when he says in this verse that God will open for us a door for the word. For what? For the word. Open the door for the word. You know, when I was a kid, that's been a while ago, when I was young, Churches of Christ had a lot of door knocking campaigns. I knocked on a lot of doors as a young man. Hey, we're having a gospel meeting. We're having vacation Bible school. Or we're doing this. We'd like to invite you. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've had people say mean things. Whatever. But I've had people who listened and people who swilled the study and people who obeyed the gospel and people who came. Wow. People say, well, that's not very effective. Well, it's more effective than nothing, ain't it? I know that's not good grammar, but it is. So a lot of times they say, well, door knocking just doesn't. Well, what are you going to do instead? Oh, nothing? Well, I guarantee you door knocking is more effective than that. And so we have to think about, but it's nice when someone opens a door and they're nice. It's not any good when they're saying all kinds of mean things to you. But we want open doors, and we want open doors for evangelism. Turn with me to Acts 14 real quick. Acts 14. See that this terminology is used more than once. But Acts 14, and uh, down at verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together. I like that. They got to town, what they do? Got together with brethren. They began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So are they reporting to what they did or are they reporting what God did? There's a difference, isn't there? This is what God did through us. This is not what we did for God. I think that's how we talk sometimes. No, this is how God worked through us, we made ourselves available, and he accomplished what we couldn't have dreamed of. He opened the door. Look at another one over in, this is a good one, I think. I guess they're all good ones. Revelation 3, listen to this one. 
Revelation 3, verses uh, 7 and 8. Listen to this in the uh, Church of Philadelphia. <clears throat> um, when you look at this passage, it says, And the angel of the Church of Philadelphia arrived. He is holy, who is one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut because you have a little power and I and have kept my word and have not denied uh, my name. Who opened the door? If God opens a door, who can close it? Only God. And if you open it, open a door, that didn't God open the door. God says, I do this, not because you're a great powerhouse, but because of a few things. You have a little power. I can use a little power. I think about that with so many things where it just took a little power. It didn't take a lot. It took a little power. It took a guy with a slingshot to to defeat a giant of a warrior with a sword and a shield. God doesn't need you. Just make yourself available. He can get the job done. God Couldn't God have just struck Goliath dead? Could have. But that isn't how he wanted to do it. See, in evangelism, God could write the message in the the sky. God could do that. God could wake everybody up in the middle of the night with a voice from heaven. That's not his plan. That was never his plan. It was planned for you and me, we'll get personal, for you and me to open our mouths and teach people. The gospel, the power, is the gospel being preached. That's God's plan. Satan makes all kinds of excuses. I always think it's funny. Well, no one wants to hear it anymore. So I always ask people, so when's the last time you tried studying something? Is it no one wants to hear it or you're not giving anybody a chance? You don't know what they want to hear unless you talk to them. Some of them don't want to hear, sure. I won't get ahead of Ben's class, but the field's still wide under harvest. And will be till the end of time. But I'll tell you one thing I know, being a kid who grew up in probably the biggest agricultural area of all the United States, the whole area of Kansas and Oklahoma over there, and that wheat belt through Kansas. And I'll tell you what happens if the harvest, if the wheat doesn't get out of the field, lose it all. Harvest. I watch those guys, even still, harvest time. Man, they go as long as they can go till the dew sets on them. If it goes till 2 in the morning, those combines run till 2 in the morning. And they get on it as soon as the dew's dry enough to get it going again. And I've watched those harvest crews start in Texas and work their way through day after day after day after day after day, no days off, and work their self from Texas all the way into Canada. You know why? Because the harvest is ready in Texas long before it's ready in Canada. But let me tell you what, when we're talking about lost souls wanting to hear the gospel, brethren, we live in an area where the fields are wide unto harvest. Thank me for that next week, Ben. But anyway, a great, great thing to know and realize. The door's been opened. I do think this next part is just as important as the door's being opened so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been in prison. He's already good. Let me tell you what, you preach the gospel, you get thrown in prison, well, maybe I'm going to quit preaching. No, he just fires him up more. He converted the jailer in 
Philippi and he converted people in Caesar's household. You put Paul somewhere and just give me the boldness to say what needs to be said and help me to have the right words and to say it properly. That's the next verse. That I may make it clear that, excuse me, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Have you ever said something? I have plenty of times. And you think, I don't know if it's possible to say it clearer than I said it and people still miss it. Maybe I don't know anything about communication. I don't know how you could say it plainer. But somehow they didn't catch it. Were they not listening? They looked right at me while I was talking. They shook their head. But they seemed like, I don't know, their ears must have been stopped up or something. And so here Paul says, I want to say what ought to be, make it clear that I can say what I need to say. In Ephesians 6 and verse 20, Paul says that he may speak boldly. Speak boldly. I think about 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, and what ought I speak? Preach the word. Do you know that it is not socially acceptable in the broad term of Christianity to preach the word? Sometimes even our brethren, it's not acceptable to preach the word. Can't you just tell a lot of good stories? Well, I can, I can, tell, I can tell stories. And I don't have a problem if your story relates to the passage, to illustrate the passage. I think those are great. I think Jesus did them all the time in parables even. But the point is, it's not for story sake. If you remember the story, but you forget the passage that I was applying it to, I messed up. I shouldn't have told the story. It has to be the application of it. And so we got to preach the word. Give them the book. Tell them what it says. So in Romans 1 and verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation. I'm not. I'm going to tell you what the book says. I sometimes get in discussions. I got in a discussion a couple weeks ago on the job with a fellow I know pretty well. We got in the same discussion a few years ago because I'd posted on a church sign Baptism now saves you. Right on the street. 1 Peter 3.21. I run into this guy. He works as an electrician. I run into this guy the next day. He said, I saw your sign. That's not true. What do you mean it's not true? What says baptism now saves us? I said, did you read the passage? It said right below it, 1 Peter 3.21. Hold on. So I go out to my truck, get my New Testament. I said, here, are you a King James guy? Yes. Hold on. I went back. Is that a King James in there? I know what religion he belongs to, and they believe you're baptized to confirm to others and yourself that you've already been saved. I knew what he believed. But I said, what's that say? It doesn't say. I said, I can figure where unto is in baptism doth also, I'm reading King James here, doth also now save you. Does too say baptism saves you? Well, that's not what it means. You didn't tell me that's not what it means. You said it didn't say it. You called me a false teacher, and I'm not a false teacher. Now, you were a false teacher because you said it didn't say it, and it says those exact words. So we got it. He, a few weeks ago, he, he says, remember that sign I talked to you about? He says, that verse still haunts me. I said, it wouldn't if you'd obey it. Don't it? 
Obviously, he thinks he can talk to me, but I'm pretty sure I'm not telling him what he wants to hear because I'm just telling him what God wants him to hear. I mean, he might not like it. I can't help that. I hope that he stays in it long enough and his heart's tender enough that he obeys it because that's what it says. And if he wants more, we got to get past that verse first, though, don't we? I can give him umpteen verses on baptism, but we've got to preach the word, but we can't be ashamed of it. And then, you remember, uh, we'll turn over this one so you can see it for yourself. It's a great one. It's uh, Luke 9, 26. Luke 9, 26. This is about as plain as it can get. For who Jesus says, it doesn't say Jesus says, but that's who he's talking to. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father, and of his holy angels. How important is it not to be ashamed of Jesus? Don't be ashamed of him. How's it going to work out for you if when he comes he's ashamed of you? That swallows hard, don't it? Not ashamed. Well, then, hey, look who's here. No, hey, hey, get back. Hey, hide behind me. Nah, him and his word. You know, I talk to people a lot. Says, "Well, I want Jesus, but I don't want the Bible." Well, you can't have Jesus without the Bible. Or I want Christ, but I don't want the church. I said, "You do know you just badmouthed his bride. He probably made you mad." Do you know Jesus? It's all or nothing. There's no halfway. You're either hot or cold or putrid. That's pretty much how I tell them. Why are you ready to get this? Well, I heard look, look. You know, I'll be glad to show you. I got the passage right here in Revelation 3, verse 15 16. That's what it says. So, go back to Colossians. So, we're going to not be ashamed of it. We want to make it clear, make it clear how I need to speak. But look what he goes on and says. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So when I'm with people that aren't members of the church, what should I be thinking about? Well, it looks like they might be friends, they might be family, they might be acquaintances, they might be co-workers, whatever it is. They might be an employer or an employee, whatever the situation. What do I need to be thinking about? How do I get them in a right relationship with God? Not anything else. Not that you can't use other things to get there. You know, you can talk about water and how Jesus is living water, but you finally got to get down to Jesus is the Christ. But we look and he says, we got to make the most of the opportunity. We can't just let them always slip by. Now, sometimes, just, have you ever pushed something when the opportunity wasn't there and you turned it all off? Because you didn't wait for the opportunity. You know, I watched a little kid once in coach pitch game. They went from T-ball to coach pitch. I don't even remember why I was there. I don't know, maybe years ago when the grounds were. But they just went. And as soon as that pitcher, let, well, that ball, that kid swung before the ball even got close to him. There's no opportunity to get the ball till he pitches it. You can't swing before he pitches it. You can't swing right when he lets it. 
you got to wait for the opportunity of the ball to be in the range of the bat. Now, how come we laugh about that, but sometimes we push stuff and we're just swinging at the air? So, but we can't let opportunity slip by because God supplies. So I would say generally we're a lot more guilty of letting opportunity slip by rather than pushing opportunity. But it depends on the demeanor of people. Some people are guilty of both. Sometimes we're all guilty of both of them. So he says we've got to conduct ourselves in the right way. And then he also says, let your speech always be with grace. 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 That's prayer before you eat. Say, grace, no. That's a girl's name. Not in this text. Grace. If I get grace from God, it only comes through Christ. Christ is the avenue of grace. As of giving us something we don't deserve, right? So my speech needs to be giving something to people. I don't I'm gonna give them what they I'm gonna give them what for. No, that's not with grace. Grace is not that way. Grace is giving them something they don't deserve. Someone gave me the gospel I didn't deserve. So we look at that. We're gonna our speech is gonna be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Now, now I'm a pepper guy. But have you ever ate food? And, man, I tell you what, this is a bland experience. I season it. Oh, that's must bun. Now we got to see. Put a little jalapenos in it, a little this, a little onion, something like that. I don't like this stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But anyway, no, you look at season that up a little bit. So my speech needs to be acceptable, presentable so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Is that hard? Have you ever heard people say, well, you need to tell, you need to treat everybody the same? That's not true. That's not true. You do not treat everybody the same. Do you, let me ask you this, men. Do you need to treat men and women exactly the same? If you think that, you've got a problem. And do we need to treat adults and children the same? No. Do we need to treat brethren and the world that no? So we've got, how, how do I deal with this? How, how, what can I do to still say what needs to be said and say it the way the Lord wants it said and have a positive effect? Sometimes you don't get to have, but I, to the best of my ability, I need to do it that way. So let's think about this idea of conduct, how you conduct yourselves. Go over to, uh, we'll hit a few passages here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Is that how we conduct ourselves? We're using vulgar language. Is that acceptable conduct? I could go on and on with the list. We've got to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Look at another one on this idea of our conduct, how we need to conduct ourselves. Look over at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But in case I am delayed, I write to you so that 
you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. If you're a Christian and we're the church, is there acceptable conduct for us, therefore unacceptable conduct for us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's not how Christians act. That's not how the church acts. That's not. I mean, I've heard so many times, and I think usually it's a bogus excuse, but sometimes it's true. Well, I don't want anything to do with religion because it's a bunch of hypocrites. There is a lot of hypocrites in religion. Sad to say, there's a lot of people that are constant hypocrites in the church. Let's say, let's, let me give you one. Let's say that I invite someone next week to come and hear Ben's Bible class at 9.30. I won't be there. But, oh, Ben won't be there. <clears throat> but let's just say, John, oh, my John, come and learn about the devil next week. John's not the devil. He's going to talk about the devil. But No, but you look at that. So I invite someone. And let's just say you, so they come and say, well, Kimball invited me, where's he at? Well, you guys are going to say, well, he's in Colorado, but he's in church in Colorado, in Lima, Colorado. Well, he's out sitting in a tree stand. I speak big, or he's just staying at home. You told me it's important, why aren't you here? Now, maybe I broke my leg and I can't get up be anything. But still, you look at that, you got to be who you say you're going to be. Because as soon, I'm telling you what they're probably going to think, well, he's as fake as everyone else is. And you, I bet you guys have heard this before. I'll ask you the question. How many times do you get to make a first impression? You get them here, you better make the right impression the first time. That doesn't mean you don't keep making it the second, third, and fourth time. But we've got to make sure we keep the first impression right where it needs to be. Look on over. won't get too lost in uh, that one. But look on down in chapter 4 and verse 12, talking to this young man. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts within you, still miraculous gifts at that time, which was bestowed upon you. I'm not reading the verse. Jump back up to verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself to be an example to those who believe. So I think this is pretty easy. You know what Paul just told Timothy? In Kendall's words, as he would paraphrase this guy, Timothy, you need to live in a way so everyone follows your example, gets to heaven. So if everyone was the Christian you are, what shape would the church be in? That's kind of what he's asking. That's kind of what he's telling. That's what we need to ask ourselves every week. If every brother and sister right here at Franklin County was as committed to the Lord, his church, and the proclamation of his message as I am, what kind of situation would we be in? Well, you're the only one who can answer that question completely. If it's not, if they followed your example and they wouldn't be acceptable to God, you better fix that during the invitation. Because I guarantee you, people follow your example. Or, they get discouraged by your example, or they get encouraged by it. Oh, man, that's Hebrews 10.25. Not to forsake your own assembly together as habit. But encouraging one another all the more, because it's discouraging when people miss. Let's look at another one. Just a couple more here. 
Go over to 1 Peter 1.17. 1 Peter 1.17. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself with fear during the time of your stay on earth. If you're going to pray and call God your father, No, he can't mention fear without me thinking about Ecclesiastes 12, right? I just think that's so important that when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. There's a lot of people who try to keep his commandments. They, they don't fear him, respect him, honor him at all. And they're not really, they don't really think God means what he says. You know, I, I'm thankful my dad. He kind of meant what he said. So when he told you to do something and you didn't do it, it was on, baby. It was on. Now, when you did what he said, he was great to deal with. But when you didn't, it was no fun. You know, God's like that. Well, you know what? My dad was like God in that matter. There's going to be consequences when you cross the line, and there's going to be acceptance or reward when you abide by the rules. Isn't that God in a nutshell? A lot of people want to think there's rewards, but there's no consequences. Well, this afternoon, Lord willing, we're going to deal with H-E-L-L. There's consequences. Wow. Conduct yourselves in fear. One more on that point. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3 and verse 11. I might wrap it all up here. almost feel like I ought to back up and read what all it says about what's going to happen, that this earth is going to be destroyed. But look what he says in verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this world, since Jesus is coming back with his mighty angels, since everything that we know physically, this building, those cars, those trees, that dirt, the sky, the stars, the sun, since it's all going to be burn up, not caught on fire, burn up, destroyed, no longer exist. Since it's to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since you know the end of time has come. When? I don't know. He didn't tell me, didn't tell you. I've been sick and tired of this garbage. I feel sorry for the people in Gaza Strip and all that's going on there, and I know we don't even have a real good idea listening to the news of really what is going on in Gaza. But here's what's a shame. I've listened since that happened, catch it, religious leader after religious leader after religious, you want me to have to say that about that? Saying this is the end of time. Why did God let you in on this? Well, the signs. And then they start putting stuff that was supposed to apply to Rome and the fall of Rome. I said, what are you doing? I tell you what, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back like a thief in the night. He's going to welcome the faithful, and it's going to be devastation for the unrighteous, those who do not know God and don't obey the gospel. If you want passages for all these, you just talk to me afterwards, and I'm not going to be able to quote them. That's a fact. When he's coming back, I don't know it. And you know, I think there's a reason God didn't tell us when he's coming back. 
Because I'll tell you what, you let me know if you're not like this sometimes. We're good at waiting till the last minute. Wait till the last. You know, I, I, I'm not being mean, but I know people who habitually are walking the door at the last minute or a little late, they're always waiting till the last minute. And always something gets in the way. My dad always used to say, you need to leave early enough, you have a flat tire, you can change flat tire and still make it on time. That's how my dad was. That's what he said. You need to plan for the things you can't plan for. Now, my dad, when they said amen, I'm out of here. That's what he was. But I think about how important it is as we just look at this of who we need to be. What kind of conduct should we have? Holy conduct. Our speech needs to be seasoned with grace like it was seasoned with salt. And we need to figure out how we need to respond to each person. And I want to remind you where this passage started from. Maybe while you're figuring out how to reply to a person, pray, pray, pray. And remember what they need to hear? That they can speak the word to you. So we don't just need to keep it all sweetie-peety. We need to be sweet and kind, but we got to speak the truth. So if you're here today and you've not conducted yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, if you've not been taking advantage of open doors, if we've not been praying, and maybe we don't pray about that enough as a congregation, God, open us a door. Open us a door to speak that message and give us the boldness and the confidence to speak that message plain. If there's anyone here who's not a Christian, it's plain and simple how to become one. All you've got to do is hear what the message says about Jesus Christ. Believe it, confess it, repent, and be buried in a watery grave. And when you're raised up, you walk in newness of life with Christ. And if you're a Christian and you've strayed and fallen back into it, you just need to confess that sin and repent. Just going with the challenging times, you need prayers and confession. We can help you with.